everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 169th episode of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through the merry Marvel adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from the very beginning. We start with the Fantastic Four, number one from 1961, and we are finishing the penultimate month of 1967 in this episode with the following five comics from November 9th, Tales to Astonish 100, The Avengers 48, The X-Men 40, and Amazing Spider-Man 57. Then we're going to dip our toe into... Okay, technically it's also November, but it's really the first week of December's books, November 30th, Sergeant Fury 51. So, uh, yeah, it's a November evening. Yeah, yeah. Remember, we remember. Sh- we sure these... say Marvel a lot, don't we? That's weird. It's a pretty marvelous word. Mm-hmm. I, tend, I tend to marvel at it a lot. Yeah. But none of the kids behind are... on our DC. Right. None of the kids let me play Marvels with them. Mm. Well, speaking of your favorite word, what is it? Penultimate? Or, uh, yeah, I love isn't, isn't this a penultimate issue we're going to cover first? <gasps> it is. Tales to Astonish 100 is the penultimate issue of Tales to Astonish. It really should be the final issue because it's freaking number 100, you would think. But, right. But, but they didn't do that. And I wasn't there at the time. So, hey, I can't judge their opinion too hard or their uh, decision too much. But Submariner and the Incredible Hulk Tales to Astonish number 100, an epic length 22-page battle. Yeah, that's what happens. They fight for 22 issues. Okay, so anyway, what do we think of this issue? No. Uh, It's called Let There Be Battle, a double-length spectacular to stagger your senses by Stan the Man Lee, Mary the She, Severin. Ugh, I still hate that. And Dandy Dan Adkins, lettered by Sam Rosen, hidden in a remote Undersea outpost, the embittered Submariner probes the surface world through a long-range computo viewer. Remember that? Until mm-hmm. from Atari. As fate would have it, he sees – what he sees is um, what happened to the Hulk last time, which is the Hulk buried in a – Buried alive. In an avalanche. Hulk! Hulk! <laughs> so he's watching this um, and he's like, you know – Everybody's forsaken me. I'm grumpy about it again. But I'm the most powerful thing of the sea, and the Hulk is the most powerful thing on land. Together, we could be invincible. Also, my memory is very bad. So this is a great plan. Let's do it. <laughs> so he goes up to the surface, and the first thing he sees is this like really cool, brand new, like state-of-the-art looking hydrofoil. And these guys like go, oh, it's a submariner. He popped up out of nowhere. Shoot him. And they shoot him. And so he destroys the hydrofoil. But guess what? They weren't really shooting him under their own volition, though they might have anyway. But they were being controlled by the puppet master because he wanted them to bring back the -the state-of-the-art hydrofoil so that he could add it to his collection or whatever. But anyway, so now he's all mad. And this is, by the way, the puppet master, in case anybody's interested, he still looks like that new puppet master that's not nearly as cool as the old puppet master look. He's just Uncle Fester. Yeah, he's basically Uncle Fester. I don't know when that changes, but it hasn't yet, if anybody's keeping track. Um, So he's like, ah, Submariner, I hate that guy. How can I defeat him? Um, I guess the Hulk has been buried alive so long that they were able to write a newspaper headline about it. Because he's like, oh, the paper, the World Press, the Hulk buried under landslide. I know what I'll do. I'll take over the Hulk. I bet he's not dead. So he creates a puppet, and then he's like, Hulk. Get out of the landslide. And Hulk's like, yes, master, I obey. And he gets out of the landslide. I don't know what he was doing before that. But anyway, um, as he's punching his way out of the landslide, Ross is there and Glenn Talbot is there and Rick Jones is there. And Rick's like, 
but he's really a nice guy. I swear, deep down, you gotta help me. And Ross is like, you know, kid, you've convinced me. I'm never gonna hate the Hulk again. And then the Hulk comes out of the thing, and he's brainwashed by, by I keep wanting to call him Egghead, but he's not Egghead, by Uncle Fester. And the Fester says, just kill everybody or get rid of everybody. So R- Rick goes over there and says, gee, Hulk, I'm so glad to see you. And Hulk goes, ah, leave me alone, and flaps him. And flies away or jumps away. And then Ross is like, I swear vengeance on you forever. So that didn't last very long. Um, anyway, he tells the Hulk to go fight Submariner. And the rest of the issue is pretty much that. They go back and forth between land and sea and land and sea. Um, occasionally, we cut back to uh, Rick Jones, who's now on a stretcher. And Betty Ross is crying to her dad that maybe she's lost Hulk or What's his name? Banner forever. Bruce forever. And Glenn is like, oh, if only I could get rid of the Hulk so she would love me. Um, But that really doesn't go anywhere. That's as far as it goes. Fight, fight, fight until finally at some point um, the the Hulk accidentally hits a giant police helicopter that's like following them around as they fight through the city. It's like a coastal city. I don't know if it's supposed to be New York or Florida or what. They're in Florida. Okay. See, you know that because you live there. You probably recognize all this. Yeah, I watched this happen actually when I was a kid. Totally, totally. Um, um, so he accidentally hits a chopper that's been like a police chopper that's been like kind of following them around in case they have to do something or can figure out what to do. And Submariner stops the fight to save the guy, and that kind of makes the Hulk hesitate. And he's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be – who's bossing me around? I don't know if I like this. Um, before they can get too far, the Submariner like takes advantage of that and pushes him into the water and then creates this big whirlwind around him. And the whirlwind happens to create like a tidal wave, and the tidal wave happens to hit where – uh, Puppet Master and all his machines are, so that knocks them all out because they're made of electricity. Electricity doesn't like water. So that frees up the Hulk, but at the same time the Hulk gets knocked unconscious and turns into Bruce Banner, so Namer's like, where'd the Hulk go? Who's this dude who likes the same kind of pants? I don't know. I guess I'll go back into the ocean. The end. Yeah, it is, um, the fight starts on page seven. Yeah. And with very few panels distracting by other subplots, mm-hmm. it continues till the end of page 22. It's They weren't lying. It's an epic length 22-page battle. Yeah. Really. Now, 22 pages is two extra pages compared to your standard Marvel book right now. Marvel books usually run 20 pages if they're feature length. But your, your split titles usually do 10 and 12. I'm sorry, 12 and 10. Or now that they're going back and forth, 11 and 11. So your anthology books do have 22 pages. It's just they don't usually do 22 pages of a single story. Not that that matters so much, except that we have two extra pages for fighting. And this is the first time. It's not the first time. It's the first time within the pages of Tales to Astonish, I guess, that they actually encounter each other. And it's not a split issue. There was that one story where, like, they kind of passed each other by. Right. And they had the whole Avengers 3 thing. Yeah, so that's what that's what I was like alluding to when I said he has a bad Namer has a bad memory because he acts like he's never teamed up with the Hulk before. But uh, right, yeah, he did, and it didn't go well. It did not go well. They didn't really so much team up as Namor is like, "Hey, you want to be friends?" And Hulk's like, "Yeah, no." And then he's like, "I'm better than you." And Namor's like, "No, I'm better than you." And then uh, uh, yeah, they didn't get along. So you would think he would remember that. Oh well. What's well, weird what? is like he also doesn't seem to remember that he was kind of okay with his people. Being uh, mistaken about him, like he was just going to fix that later. 
Yeah. And now he's back to the, they have forsaken me and I am a victim. Poor Namor. So holding out weird. in remote outposts because he has no friends. Yeah. It's like, what happened to just explaining it to them? Right. They think yeah. you're dead as it is. That too. So he's he's gone back to being like kind of jerky. It did cheat us out of a Namor cover because Hulk was the cover last issue and Hulk's going to be the cover next issue. So we have passed our last solo Namor cover till he gets mm. his own series. He is closer to us than Hulk, but not by a lot. Not by a lot. This kind of reminded me of like a uh, a Namor versus Torch Golden Age thing, like something everybody's wanted to see or something. Right. And they just fight, 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 fight for the whole issue. Oh, that does remind me of something I was going to say a minute ago. Um, in Golden Age comics, having your two two of your anthology chapters team up, mm. it's not that it was common, but it wasn't unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a I read a good chunk of Whiz Comics in Captain America several years ago, and in Whiz Comics, there were a number of times where Captain Marvel and Ibis the Invincible and some pilot guy whose name I forget they would they would have crossovers and team ups. Um, so it does happen. It just we haven't really seen it in the Marvel Age, right? Why the Puppet Master? Because uh, he's an easy way to get people to fight, maybe. I think that's. I think it's just an easy way to get this fight to happen. And, it's not that we don't have fights without him, but uh-huh. it's an easy way to make it happen. And the Puppet Master and Namor do have recent history, right? They do. They do, yeah. which neither one of them recalls. Of course, he doesn't go after Namor. He goes after the Hulk. Well, he says he who has defeated the Puppet Master in the past, which, by the way, is probably a long list at this point, but... <laughs> like that was pretty that was probably the last time we saw the puppet master was yeah. him trying to get Namor to rob banks for him or something. So this is a revenge ploy. But then again, that makes you wonder and then we just become like a broken record, but like if he can just take over Hulk whenever he wants, why can't he just take over Namor again whenever he wants? Why can't mm-hmm. he take over anybody whenever he wants? So Also, if the <laughs> puppet master has your puppet and you're unconscious, he can just wake you up. It's like remote boot on yeah. network network computers. Yeah, yeah. That was actually pretty handy for the Hulk because, like, without Puppet Master, he never would have got out of this thing, maybe. Or I don't know what his plan was, to just slumber forever? Maybe. Well, he literally just fell down there, so I'm sure he would have figured himself out eventually. Well, it made the front page. Yeah, but you know how comics newspapers are. (laughs) I know. They're just – they're very instant. Right. You mentioned how his face still looks like the the newish design, the the Uh old Kirby design is gone. He just looks like a bald, round-faced dude. But he's also wearing his ridiculous costume, except Mm -hmm. that remember how he had the puppet on his symbol? Now he Mm. just has a stylish letter P. Yeah, he became a Pittsburgh Pirates fan or something. Yeah. The puppet was a little bit hard to read until you realized what it was, but I do prefer it over just a P. It was at least funnier. Yeah. Yeah. Rick shows up. Yeah. Was he there? No. Uh, he is literally out of nowhere. Okay, really? He wasn't in the last story? I honestly couldn't remember. No, he was not. Okay. Um, I went and looked it up. I could I don't I don't remember looking I don't think I looked up when he last showed up, but he was not on the scene with these folks last issue. He just runs up and says hi. That really makes me wonder how the traveling is happening in this because I guess I don't know where they were in the desert, but I always assume it's like basically the same area-ish. Mm-hmm. And so Hulk attacked that because he was under the delusion that he was working for the good guys. Um, and that's what got him stuck into this thing because then he realized he wasn't and he went back, blah, blah, blah. But So you could say that Rick just lives around there, so he heard the commotion and came over. But then how did they end up in Florida because – Oh, I don't know. I guess Florida and New York are pretty close. 
But that's usually where Namor comes out of the water. Namor's in Florida. They are in the Great Southwest. Namor's in Florida. And Hulk leaps away, leaps to safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Pup Masters has him leap all the way to freaking Florida. I was just forgetting how the East Coast works because I don't, I don't go over there. But like, Florida's on the like, bottom. Usually, like Namor comes out of the water and he's like a New York guy. Yeah, but I guess I guess his uh, his current what did they call it? His his uh, remote outpost is more near Florida. And at one point, he flies off of the coast, or Hulk jumps off of the coast, and like don't want to overshoot. And I'm like overshoot the ocean. I was really confused, but um. Oh, yeah, like Hulk tosses him and he's like, I got to put on my brakes so that I can get into the water because he's going to throw me all the way over to the other more land and I want to get into water. And I was like, where is this happening? I don't understand. Yeah. So, okay. Well, Florida, okay. And it wasn't, I didn't think I was going to down, but Florida is weird in that the western part of Florida faces into the Gulf. Uh-huh. So if he were, if he's on the west coast of Florida, he could conceivably throw Namor across the water and Namor would land on North American continent. Okay. So I Which guess would be bad. Right. He needs to he needs to land in water and get his life back, not land on ground and swish. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't have a whole lot of notes. We had another badly colored African American character. We have not seen a gray skinned man in a while, so it's been off putting on page fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah, the guy reporting it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The hotel the, porter. The poolside attendant. Right. You know, technically Namor wins this fight, but I don't know if people keep track of that stuff. There used to be cool little sites like that, like Hulk fight. There was a site that kept track of all the Hulk fights and whether he won or not. You know, things like that. They don't do that stuff anymore. But you could do that. I haven't seen that, but Yeah. Now it's all just like like mass sites that cover everything. It used to be like little I like Quicksilver, you know? Yeah. They don't seem the to have internet that stuff anymore. is a larger place. There are definitely things I have looked for years ago that you could not mm. find a shred of information. And now there are Wikipedia pages devoted oh, yeah. to it. Oh, yeah. But in that, while that's awesome, it kind of have all, has also lost like this. It's like, it's like everything's Walmart and Amazon now. And back in the day, it used to be like little tiny stores that mm-hmm, dedicated mm-hmm. to dedicated to Puppet Master or whatever. Little tripod website that had everything you want to know about X topic. Yeah. And I know there was one that was like all about Hulk fights and whether he won or who he versed and whether he won or not. Now you could argue that he was under the control of the puppet master. So whatever, but Submariner one decidedly. Now on page 21, mm-hmm. fourth panel, puppet master says, how did it happen? The Hulk had the power. I had the control. One thing was missing. The one vital element mm. he didn't possess. Yeah. The killer instinct. Now, See? we have seen Hulk want to kill before. Mm-hmm. Just recently, in fact. But And does killer instinct literally mean that? Or is that just an expression to mean like wanting to win? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it could be just wanting to win. And he doesn't really want to win. He's under Puppet Master's control. Right. And you would think that want to win is probably where that whole like getting stronger and stronger thing might happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, pop- you're a, if you're a Hulk fan, you could blow this off as like it's a mind control problem. And normally he would, but Puppet Master dies again in this issue. He keeps doing that. Oh, I didn't even really think about that. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of hard to survive a tidal wave. He has died a few times now. Um, maybe, maybe all his plastic surgery will fall off this time, and the next time he'll look cooler again. <laughs> his big old eyes. 
So the next puppet master is also going to be the next mad thinker story. Oh gosh. Yep. They team up again. Yup. Cause puppet master loves mad thinker is my head cannon. And there will be a baby makes three. There's going to be a, a three day <laughs> team up coming up. Oh, I thought you meant between the two of them. Oh no, 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 no. Well, <laughs> As far as this guy knows, he's not their child. <laughs> it's like Puppet Master's like, I could make a baby. I could sculpt a baby that looks just like the both of us put together. Now, before we go on to our next book, mm-hmm. I have heard it said that this was actually going to be the new format of the book. That it was going to be a Namor Hulk team-up book. Yeah. That idea was being tossed around. Have you heard that? I did. I don't know if I heard that from you or independently, but I do remember that as an idea. I had never I don't heard know it where before. I heard that. Um, on the internet just recently, within the last few weeks, I heard that. Um, so, so was this like a pseudo pseudo defenders thing? Before defenders occurred to anybody? I, I, it's possible. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find if it was Wikipedia. Because the only information I ever get these days is on Wikipedia, right? So Right. All my news is on Facebook and Twitter. So, um, But anyway, listeners who know more should write in. If you have read anything about Astonish being anything more than we're going to split this up and we split everything else. If you thought, if you have heard that Namor and Hulk were going to team up in it on the regular, I'd like to get more information on that. It just seems like an uh, like an odd, unlikely pairing. Well, they sure didn't uh, go very far to get them to team up in this. Mm-mm. But we do have one more issue with them together-ish, I think. So maybe that's where, or no. No, separate just stories, just in the same Separate book. stories next issue. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess they decided quickly not to do that. It, it, you know what? You know what this makes this? This is hmm. our first Celebrate 100 issue. Oh. I hadn't thought our, about that until literally just now. It's not our first now. 100 issue, though. But, but no. It's Journey into Mystery didn't do anything special. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. The Fantastic Four 100 is going to Celebrate 100, but I feel like this is a Celebrate 100. Yeah. And Tales to Astonish doesn't make it to 100. Oh, no. <laughs> Tales of Suspense doesn't make it to 100. Nope. Um, what did Journey of the Mystery do? Nothing, really? Just nothing? Yeah, just, just another another issue, I think. Um, I was trying to find it. Oh, yeah, it was just Thor Showdown with Mr. Hyde, number 100. Mm-hmm. Boring. Wow. It was just after Kirby had done a couple issues, and then he went away for three issues, and Don Heck, I think, came on. Mm. So Don Heck did issue 100. Well, this is definitely a celebration in the sense that, you know, if you like to see two powerhouses slug it out, this is for you. Mm-hmm. And I do like to see that, so that was fun. All right, should we move on? Well, I was going to ask you, do we still want to cover the Avengers now that Captain America's left the book, or I wasn't sure what our strategy was there? I mean, if it's not Captain America's team, I don't know if it's actually still considered Marvel Universe. So yeah, I can see how like we could a, drop it. Seems kind of like an X-Men book. Yeah, or I don't know. Timely. Then again, the cover is really cool. So Black Knight on his winged horse. I mean, dang. That's a it's great pretty cover. Great. The Black Knight lives again in the Avengers 48. Of course, we're going to cover the Avengers. What are y'all thinking? Yeah. We need to stop messing with their minds. They're going to believe everything we say or nothing. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's no recap in this. So we're just going to read the first page to see if the characters can catch us up. Quicksilver I need voices. And- I need voices. Okay. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are uh, manacled to the wall. And Magneto is threatening them and Toad is bouncing around. You're mad, Magneto. Stark staring mad. To think that Wanda and I shall ever again join you in your insane bid to rule the world. Whatever you may do to us, we'll remain Avengers till the end. 
then that end shall not be long in coming for either of you. Kill them, master, for daring to defy you. Let them pay the supreme penalty for allying themselves with the accursed homo superior. Oh, homo sapiens. <laughs> Yay. Okay. <laughs> Even had accents where there were supposed to be accents. Great. Stanley propitiously ponders and presents a Roy Thomas George Tuska saga of senses staggering splendor. Oh my god, I'm glad that was you. <laughs> Luxuriously lettered by Artie Simic, with little eagle around the lettering, around yeah. the credits box. Hmm. Special note, our enraptured thanks to genial George Tuska for filling in on the artistic chores for our regular avenging artist, Big John Buscema, who's probably off drawing the annual. No, it's too early for annual season. We just had annuals. I don't know what John's doing right now. Um, okay. So, yeah. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, they don't want to join the Brotherhood. Magneto wants them to join the Brotherhood, but they're die-hard Avengers. So he threatens them, throws stuff at them, stalks out of the room, and then Quicksilver's like, okay, I've read Flash comics, so if I just <laughs> vibrate my hand really fast, one of the metal clasps is loose, so I'll see if I can. Yay, I did it! But he has no time to work on the other clasp because they Magneto might be right back. So instead, he pulls out his microphone... From his handy-dandy microphone pouch. And this is how comms work in the 1960s. You don't have, like, the invisible comms in your ears. You have to actually pull out the comms device. So he's calling the Avengers, Mayday, Mayday, and the toad bounces by. It's like, I'm going to go tell Magneto on them. Um, Jarvis gets the Avengers distress signal, but he's like, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are on duty. They'll get the call. So good job, Jarvis. Um, meanwhile... Hawkeye is out bouncing around rooftops after he just had a fight with Natasha last issue um, because uh, he's, he's he's trying to figure out what to do with his brain now that Captain America has quit the Avengers. He's like, what, what am I going to do? We all took it for granted. He was going to be Avenger forever. No, he's not. Uh, he's being pursued by some autograph hounds. Um, Jarvis is about to leave and the phone is still ringing. So he's like, fine. So he goes over and answers the phone. Hello, Avengers HQ. Jarvis speaking. What? Master Pietro, but I thought you were answering the phones. Um, no. So he calls the Avengers to have them come answer. Meanwhile, at Las Vegas ca- casinos, like really far away, Janet Van Dyne is super annoyed because she's gambling at a gambling table and this other guy has uh, been winning every role for a while. And she's like, I bet he's doing something. So, um, let's see. Hank shows up. It's like, yeah, I think he is doing something I can see with my x-ray vision. No. <laughs> he has an ant crawl into the guy's pocket, and uh-huh. the ant sees a magnetic device that he's using to toss the dice. So he shrinks down to ant size, runs across the gambling board with all the chips and all the numbers, saying, ants, follow me. For literally no reason. Nothing that he accomplishes today requires him to do this. The ants go and get the magnetic thingy out of the guy's pocket. The guy reaches into his pocket and it's like, oh no, I don't have the thingy to control the rolling ball or the dice or whatever it is. So uh, Janet um, is excited because the guy loses and um, she doesn't even win the spin. She just, you know, is excited he lost. Uh, so Ant-Man comes out of uh, wherever he was and he's like, okay, Jan, we're getting a call. We got to go. So she shrinks down right there in front of God and everybody 
and her dress shrinks with her, but her mink shawl doesn't. Uh, so, you know, Jan, stop, stop wearing endangered species. <laughs> All right. So they hop on some flying ants. They fly home. Meanwhile, Hercules has climbed Mount Olympus to find a wrecked, abandoned, um, hall of the gods. So he's like, Oh my gosh, how could this have happened? Uh, meanwhile, back at Avengers HQ, we only have three Avengers. One's on Olympus, two are captured, so Hawkeye and Thrun just quit. So Hawkeye and uh, Ant-Man and Jan like, okay, let's go find one in Pietro. Um, meanwhile, at Garrett Castle, where Dan Garrett is working on science, um, he starts thinking about, you know, my uncle, the Black Knight. He fought Iron Man, and they fell out of the sky, and my uncle was badly injured, he had enough strength to get to a payphone and call me, and I came and got him, and he died of his injuries, but he told me all about his um, Black Knight stuff before he died. Uh, it's not Dan Garrett. Dan Garrett was the old Blue Beetle. This is Nathan Garrett. Or is Dan Garrett this guy? Who's Dan Garrett? I don't know who Dan Garrett is. Okay, well, I don't either. I don't know why I called this guy Dan Garrett. Nathan Garrett is uh, the old Black Knight. He's dead now. So this nephew gets his um, jousting spear, gets his winged horse, gets his costume, redoes the costume a bit and designs himself as the new Black Knight because the old Black Knight comics have been reprinted in Marvel superheroes. So, you know, did you um, say Dan Garrett was the Blue Beetle or did you not say that? I think I said that. OK, well, you're right. Golden Age Blue Beetle. Golden Age Blue Beetle. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is Dale Whitman. Dale... Well, Whitman would make sense, except their nephew and uncle or whatever. So he doesn't have to have that name, but I don't know. It's somebody. Anyways. It's somebody. Dane. Dane somebody. Oh, Black Dane even said is his the name. new one. <laughs> Dane is the, is the good one. Is the good one. Okay. Dane what, though? No, what Dane Whitman. Right. It is Dane, Dane Whitman. Whitman. Okay. Dane Whitman. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that I've got that out of my system. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Back um, at wherever Magneto is, he's still torturing the Avengers. Uh, Black Knight shows up at Avengers headquarters and says, hey, um, I want to help you. And they're like, you look like the Black Knight on your winged horse, and we know that you're evil, so we're going to fight you until you lose. And they fight him until um, some debris falls, and I don't even know what happens. But he eventually convinces them that he's not evil, but they've upset him so much. He's like, never mind. You can go save your friends on your own. I want to go be the Black Knight somewhere. Next issue, the clash that had to come. Three against Magneto. Oh, he's the one who told them that Magneto had captured Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So he gave them the lead they needed to find. Yes. Okay, so in 1955, we had Sir Percy of Scandia, who was the first Black mm -hmm. Knight. He's the one who's and getting then, reprinted. And then Nathan Garrett is his descendant. Um, and he's evil. And then Dane Whitman is another descendant. This guy. And he's this guy. So there's been three now. All right. Two, third two black good, knight. one bad. And the first black knight worked for Merlin. I think this one's going to meet Merlin, but he doesn't work for Merlin. Maybe he does work for Merlin. I don't know. Now it says in the Wikipedia here that he wields the ebony blade. Sir Percy. Have, I and think like, so. I think that's a retcon. Well, I'm, it says the reference or the re, uh, what do you call it? The source is black knight one through five, December, 1955. I don't know if that's true or Wikipedia just being wrong because they have not said Ebony Blade in these, right? 
I'll have to pay attention because I've been reading those reprints. I honestly don't recall if they have harked on the Ebony Blade thing or not. The whole thing with the old Black Knight is that he was the most uh, noble, but also like hard to beat knight in the land. Uh huh. But he wanted to be able to operate in a way where the person who is threatening the throne, Modred the evil or whatever, couldn't get at him. So he maintained this Clark Kent persona of a foppish knight who was scared of fighting. Okay. And so when he doesn't have his helmet on, he is Scaredy Cat Sir Percy of Scandia, and the uh. royal princess mocks him and laughs at him. But then whenever bad stuff happens or Modred the Evil starts being evil, he runs into a phone booth and puts on his black knight uh. armor and um, fights <laughs> right. fights the bad guys. He's, he's medieval Superman, basically. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think the, the, the Silver Age, the evil one, was more about his jousting ability than a sword. Right. And while Dane here does sheath a sword, he also seems to care more about the jousting business. And at no point does he says Ebony Blade. So you would think if the Ebony Blade thing was a concept, they'd be leaning into it already. Next time I read a Marvel Superheroes or or a uh, yeah Marvel Superheroes issue and I get to a Black Knight reprint, I will pay attention to see if they mention the Ebony Blade. I don't remember it. My guess is at some point... Dane Whitman is going to find the original Black Knight sword. They're going to call it the Ebony Blade, and it's just going to be understood that's what he always had in the past. Okay, the Ebony Blade was created by comic writer Stanley in Black Knight Comics number one, published in Atlas in 1955. Its history was later revealed in Marvel Superheroes number 17 in 68, written by Roy Thomas. So, what the heck does that mean? It means like, that uh, Black Knight is going to get his own solo adventure in Marvel Superheroes 17. No, but how does. But. It sounds like Stan created the words Ebony and Blade in 1955. But then they also say the history didn't happen until 1968. So, like, are they just saying that because he held a sword, that was the Ebony Blade the whole time and we just never really talked about it? Or or did they actually say Ebony Blade in 1955? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can look it up You'll while find we're talking. Out. Yeah. You'll find out. Okay. Anyway, I like – uh, Dane Whitman, Black Knight. I can't say I know tons about him, but I always thought he looked really cool. Agreed. As as seen on this cover, as an example. But like the thing is, like the only <laughs> when I was really uh, uh, getting into comics and stuff, the Avengers were in that period where like they all had five o'clock shadows and wore jackets. Avengers jackets, and Dane Whitman did not look cool anymore. You know? Mm, yeah. So it's like I haven't read a lot of like old school. Especially since, you know, Captain America is not in this book right now. So why would I have collected this? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This As a first appearance goes, this wasn't, like, super stellar. It was okay. I, I, I thought it was a little disjointed. I feel like it's an introduction for a character, and they don't know what to do with it yet. It It's not the 17-year mark to require for a copyright renewal. Which is usually, which is often what happens, or not seventeen mm-hmm. years, but some number of years. Yeah. The length of time that it took them to go from Captain Marvel from uh, well, actually, the time frame is roughly the same because it was the fifties, and now it's the late sixties. Maybe it's twelve years. I don't know. Um, when Captain Marvel stopped being published, there was a certain amount of time, and then as soon as that time was elapsed, Marvel said, "Grab that copyright." Yeah. Um, genius. Super and genius. Black Knight is a similar time frame. I just haven't looked at the dates to see if it's – but it's possible. It's possible they're just doing this to grab their copyright. But they could have grabbed that with the other Black Knight that they've already used, right? Or is that a different thing? I don't know how copyright works. I don't either, honestly. But he, the thing is like, okay, I mean not to tear the story apart, but like last issue, he wanted to do good because his uncle was bad. So he's going to 
contribute magnet science to the world. Mm-hmm. And then this year it's like, oh, and by the way, there was this deathbed thing. And I also have this horse that I created and the lance and the outfit. And I'm going to be a superhero. It's like, that didn't happen last year. That was kind of weird. But, uh, and then to top, and then you kind of add that to like all this seemingly side stuff, like the gambling scene and more of basically the same note from Hercules of, I got to find the, my people. Is he just going to say that every issue for 10 issues or, uh, I don't know. It just didn't really have a great showing for him. It's not going to take long like. for the Hercules scene to come to the fore. Um, mm-hmm. once they resolve this Magneto plotline, I think that one comes next. It's just Hercules is feeding into it. I guess they're sort of forecasting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get too far into the book, I do want to mention George Tusca. We have had him before. Um, looking back at last issue where he inked Buscema's pencils and comparing it to this, so I should, I can definitely see George Tusca in both. Mm. Um, I do like his art. Did you have any opinions on, on how he did things here? It was fine. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a big John Buscema fan, so I was sad to see that right. derail a little bit, but it was perfectly fine. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the Magneto scene at the beginning is that Magna, Magneto is like, I have been in space. What is an Avengers? Right. Because he has no idea. Because even though he was here well after the series started, he never had any encounters with him. He was too busy being a terrorist. Right. He's like, I'm tired of hearing about these Avengers I've never heard of. Right, right. And by the way, you guys should join me. Let me just convince you of doing that by 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 putting you in bondage and torturing you. That should that should work, right? Right, right. Definitely is gonna win people over. Yeah. Um I mentioned I made the joke about him pulling a flash. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. I mean, the the words don't sync with the the uh, the art, the visuals. It looks like his hand just goes like right through it, kind of. But then he says right. it's, a loo- it's a loose thingy. But they don't show it being open. So if it was no. loose, um, okay. So sometimes, um, what was I writing this about? Three page, three panel, five. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five. Oh yeah, the tiny microphone. Uh-huh. So. Sometimes gimmicks like this just come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, I just pulled this out of my belt. Mm-hmm. But I looked back at last issue. They received a mysterious summons, but they didn't know who it was from. So mm-hmm. definitely it is reasonable that Pietro would have grabbed a comms device and taken it with them. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of liked that. I'm surprised and, they don't come up with cooler Dick Tracy ideas for that sort of thing, though. But Like on a more regular basis? Yeah, like if I was in a if I was a superhero team, like wouldn't we all have like wristbands and we could talk to each other? Especially in the '60s, right? And they've 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 done this thing where like they all have summoning devices, but everybody's device is different and not uniform. And it's like that that stuff just bothers me artistically. Like, why didn't you come up with a cool device mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that all Avengers wear a little lapel or something? I don't know. Okay, so I just flipped through the first Black Knight story in Black Knight number one, and. The- the old 50s one? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they never refer to it as the Ebony Blade. Okay. They do say that your sword will never fail as long as you fight for England. Okay. But, um, but they never call it an Ebony Blade. There's no there's no attention drawn to the sword itself. And he does half the time carry his jousting lance instead. Okay. If – and you could find that out someday. But if those first five issues or however long this original series went does mm-hmm. not have anything magical about that sword – Mm-hmm. then Wikipedia giving Stanley credit for inventing a sword is kind of silly. Yeah, like, I agree. If it if it has powers and he just never named it, that's cool. But if it just ends up being a sword, then come on, guys. 
I'm going to so, research it and fix Wikipedia. Yeah, I would too. Uh, you can just write like, you know, he had a sword in the 50s, but it was later retconned to be blah, blah, blah. To be, right. When was the last time we saw Jarvis? Right? Uh, it's yeah. been a while. He's always in the background. He was there. Yeah. We have seen him at least once since the team switch up. Because I remember saying the last time we saw Jarvis was the team switch up. But I don't know when that was. There ought to be like a Jarvis miniseries where like originally the Avengers, when they're first formed, he's really busy with tea and serving them and stuff because they're always upstairs. Mm-hmm. And then when Cap and his crew take over and they live in that technological basement, seemingly, right. 28 issues, like we should just have Jarvis standing in an empty mansion being sad. <laughs> like, why do they not like me? He was in the Avengers annual. So we saw him there where the Avengers fought Mandarin. Okay. Um, I would occur to me, Captain America is off the team. Uh-huh. So none of the Avengers have an ongoing solo book right now. Wow, that's fun. Which also makes me wonder, with suspense about to split, and Captain America is going to have more solo stories, maybe that was intentional. Maybe. I like that, though. I like, I mean, I don't know. If you like team books, usually it's the characters you can't get anywhere else that end up being, like, the fan favorites. Mm-hmm. So that's cool when that happens. Hawkeye's um, were Go ahead. Go ahead. I was, Hawk- <laughs> What? <laughs> Hawkeye is worried that the Avengers are washed up. Um, yeah. Now that Captain America's gone. And we've talked about with the Avengers, uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, retcons, it's a pretty solid worry. And at some point, he even, like, uh, I think it's on page nine or something, he complains to Goliath that nobody puts you in charge just because Cap's not here anymore. Right. And it's like, actually, Hawkeye, I thought he was put in charge when he came back because he was the senior member. Captain America said, I'll yield to you or something like that. Yeah, I thought there was that conversation. But. Oh, no, no. Goliath did. Uh, Captain America did pull that move, but Goliath's like, no, no, no. You've been running this team. Mm. You keep it. So it was a back and forth. So that means right now we kind of, we don't really have an Avengers doing anything in this issue much, but there's no like leadership necessarily. No, uh, we've only occasionally had nods to the rotating chairman thing. Right now, it's just these three dudes. Well, they're not all dudes, but you know, yeah, dude is gender neutral. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to have a cool like meeting about it because that'd be awesome. Um, I don't recall the ants ever actually speaking to no. Goliath before, but no, not they to don't. say that they're actually speaking English. It's just some shorthand thing. But there's not even a caption. Usually, they do a caption like "We're not actually speaking English. We're speaking Russian." But like Remember here, they they're. There's no, there's no caption. Like they're actually speaking ant. They did the cool thing in those early Ant-Man issues where they showed like the symbols and the images mm-hmm. that Ant-Man was getting and how he like translated them. No, mm-hmm. now they just speak English. Yeah, now it's like, oh, you want me to roll a twenty? Okay, I'll roll a twenty. I heard you talk to ants. What's a twenty? <laughs> Have you ever wondered about the fact that the Black Knight is not very black? Like uh, he's yellow and red oh. and. I thought and he, his he was black a white armor, guy. Well, yeah, that wasn't really going there, but yeah. Um, yeah. His black armor is colored blue. Yeah, like the other the, – the bad guy, Black Knight, kind of had more black going on in his tunic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. And his helmet was black. And Dane's helmet is black. But otherwise, yeah, you're right. He's kind of got that like it's so dark blue, it's black thing going on. Right. And his a yellow gauntlets, cape. His gauntlets are black except – no, no, they're red. Mm, they're, they're red all the way to the other band. Yeah, if I were him, I would have just done all black. I mean, you're the Black Knight, crying out loud. Right. And then just like that red symbol on the chest, that would have really popped against just all black. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, I love his helmet, but I do think maybe it was a mistake. He should have stuck with his uncle's idea and just done the full face cover. But that's more of a bad guy move, I guess. I guess they want to be able to show his face emoting. Uh, yeah, it's probably easier to do expression. And then the Avengers would maybe attack you because they think that you're the other Black Knight. Oops, didn't work. Anyway. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, it says on page 18, a reminder. Let's see. Reminder? Um, yes, a reminder that he cannot do his size changing very well. I'll never be able to stop this at my usual 10-foot oh. height. I've yeah. got to go to my full 25-foot size, even though I've been warned not to, even though it might permanently affect my ability to grow in size. Note, this will affect his, permanent, his, his ability to grow in size. Okay. Again. Right. Also, note, is this the first time his costume has these dumb antenna? Is that like a change? Or I don't think that... it's the first time. I think we've had this for a little while. But oh, it was okay. not on the original Goliath costume. You're right. No. I guess I didn't notice it last issue. I think we've had him for a while. I'm trying to look real fast, but I don't even see Goliath in last issue. Was he not in last issue? He was there somewhere. My goodness. Well, he didn't have it two issues ago. Okay, so I guess it is a new thing. Yeah, it looks dumb. I don't love it. That's okay. It makes sense if they're going to be bringing back his Ant-Man stuff to have a little Ant-Man antenna, because that's why he had them. But yeah, it looks good with the Goliath costume. It'd be cool if like they only appeared when he was small. small. Yeah. Like, like, like Jan's wings. Like Jan's wings, exactly. And then when he's bigger, he doesn't need them. We will, of course, see the Black Knight again in just six issues time, but I'm trying to count. I don't know if um, Marvel Super Heroes 17 comes out before then or not. Um, we're on, we just did 12, right? Mm-hmm. So 13, 14, 15, six, that's, that's five issues. That's 10 months. So he will be in Avengers before he's in Marvel Super Heroes. So yeah, Avengers, six months. What, uh, just one last thing. We don't have to dwell on it too much but like what happened to the original winged horse they just fly away and i think they said they couldn't keep it because it was a living creature who couldn't keep it the avengers no iron man i mean when like black knight fell off it oh yeah no i might be thinking of like after the masters of evil fight or something oh yeah yeah yeah. when thor was riding it and it was the coolest panel in the entire world i remember that (laughs) but uh like black knight falls off the thing he dies we see where the black knight goes the, the the horse just seems to fly away. Is there just like a winged horse flying around in Marvel? Yeah, in New York somewhere there's a winged horse. <laughs> he and uh, the awesome android are playing somewhere. I think that'd be hilarious to see him like hanging out with pigeons on a building or something. Yes. Um, we should also just, just passing now, Iron Man totally left the Black Knight to die. Oh, yeah. And we actually thought he died instantly, but then there's this retcon now that he managed to crawl and have a death confession. We did joke that he would have died instantly there. Yeah. Iron Man totally killed that guy. Yeah. It's weird that he didn't die instantly, like, but did die. So, like, I guess right. internal organs exploded. Yeah. Mortally wounded, but took a while for everything to stop working. Yeah. And so is Dane a scientist? See, I don't know a lot about Dane. Is Dane a scientist, or does he just copy his uncle's work, and that's as far as he can go? Or can he create new horses and things? I don't know. I don't um, either. I've never really thought of him as a scientist, but that doesn't mean... I was thinking of it was a Black Knight. So, like, I've read uh, in Marvel UK Hulk comic, there's a Black Knight strip where he goes on sword and sorcery adventures with Captain Marvel. Mm. And I've read that, but that's all sword and sorceries. No references to science. I don't really know a lot else about the character. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll see. We got all speaking of Marvel's of, history ahead of us. Speaking of science. Speaking of making animals and monsters. Speaking of making artificial life. 
the X-Men meet Frankenstein. And Abbott and Costello. <laughs> that would maybe make it better. The Mark of the Monster, X-Men number 40. Uh boy. Let's see. Factor 3 has been defeated. For multiple issues now, right? Or just the one? Anyway, though no gaudy victory banners wave in the cool autumn air, though the very earth itself remains in ignorance of the nuclear disaster so narrowly averted, the extraordinary X-Men take a momentary breather after a job well done. Of course, their idea of relaxation is not necessarily the same as that of us normal homo homo sapiens. Smiling Stanley edits... And edifyingly enriches a Roy Thomas Don Heck masterwork of mounting menace. Amelioratively? What the heck does yeah. that mean? What does that I mean? I don't know. Inked by George Tuska, alliterally, alliteratively lettered by Artie Simek. Um, yeah, so their idea of relaxing is doing danger room stuff. That's shorthand because there's no danger room, but you guys know what I mean. The Beast is doing some stuff. And it's very tricky balancing stuff. So Iceman, jerk it, he is, decides to try and break his legs or something by making everything slippery and icy. And it bonks the beast's head and he gets all mad. But before they can fight, the X-Men are summoned by Professor X. He's been uh, – I don't know. I don't know how he figured this out. Did he just pick it up? Was he just like mind-thinking or did Cerebro deal with this? I don't know. Somehow he figured out that they discovered Frankenstein. And yes – that's what he said. And Gene's like, you mean like, is it a mutant? And he's like, no, no, we don't fight evil mutants in this book. So it's Frankenstein. <laughs> and she's like, like the book? He's like, yeah, but real. So like the movie? No, not the movie at all. Well, what does it look like? Um, It has bolts on its neck and it's flat on the top of its head and stuff. Oh, so like the movie. Yeah, I guess like the movie. <laughs> um, so By the anyway. way, am- am- ameliorate – just because it's very appropriate to this issue, uh-huh. means to make something better or at least more tolerable. So, like, to ameliorate the pain, make something bad easier to deal with. Wow. So they so the, knew it, this the, was horrible? The inking is ameliorative. Okay. So Lisa wasn't the plotting, I guess. So anyway, he somehow senses, and I honestly can't remember, that they discovered – this dude on ice, we then cut to that dude and he's on ice and the scientists are like, what should we do with him? We don't know. But the X-Men go over there in civvy outfits and muscle their way in. And as they're just as they get there, conveniently, uh, Frankenstein's monster. Should we call him Frankenstein's monster or Frankenstein? Because they say Frankenstein. So I'm just going to call him Frankenstein. Because, you know, even Frankenstein's monster's last name is Frankenstein because that's his dad, right? So, right, Victor Frankenstein and Bob Frankenstein. Bob Frankenstein escapes from his Ice Cube Captain America thing and goes on a rampage. The X-Men in their new spiffy outfits fight him. They lose. He's got, like, new powers that weren't in the book or the movie. Like, he can zap people with his eyes. And at some point later, I think he can magnetize his feet to the floor and stuff. Anyway, he's on a mission. He's on a mission to get to somewhere I don't think they ever say why, but he goes to a boat, like a giant freighter, and the X-Men follow him and fight him again. And, like, it turns out Iceman's powers work the best on him, so Professor X is like, shoot him with more ice. And then Frankenstein explodes because he's really a robot. And Professor X does one of those, I learned everything I needed to know, even though you have no idea how he learned it, that... It was created from an alien race and left at a tropical part of our planet because, you know, ice is bad for it. And the end, because freaking who cares? 
Next issue, The Coming of Grotesque, which can't be any better. Yeah. But can't be worse either. I don't know. Did Tomb of Ideas cover this? Because Yes. Actually, and I, I have it in my notes to make sure I mention it. Tomb of Ideas. Hey, all of y'all out there. If yes. you like Marvel horror, Bronze Age horror, Tomb of Ideas uh-huh. is covering all the Bronze Age Marvel horror comics. In mm-hmm. one of their early episodes, they decided to cover some almost horror epi- issues and I actually got to be on there for the episode where they talked about this issue. Oh, no. You've talked about this twice now? Twice now. Because <sighs> there is a Marvel Frankenstein. It's monster. Yes. Right. right. And he has his own comic later. Yeah. So then I looked. So I was thinking about that when I was reading this. And then I looked it up and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, this was just an android that never appears again. Right. So it's like, wow, that's even worse. It is, it is a gotcha of the Instagram. And uh, yeah. This this is, by the way, the first issue since Factor 3. Factor 3 wrapped up and got new costumes okay. last issue. Okay. We just haven't recorded in 20 weeks, so it felt like it was a long time. But uh, And I guess uh, everything must be back to normal because we start with the Danger Room sequence. Yeah. That seems like it's been a while. And Professor X is in this whole sh- issue and like goes with them on everything. And Jean Grey has a special project with him that they work on privately together. And she's not going to school anymore, I guess? I don't know. What happened to that? Yeah. I looked it up. We never see those school people again, except for the Cobalt Man, because he shows up. So it's like they just were like, you know what? We can't figure out how to do this whole like back and forth school business. So let's just ignore it. Did she remember to drop her classes? Because if you stop going, they will continue. You don't get your money back, and they'll give you an F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know this, because I got a whole bunch of them my first year of college when I stopped going to school all the time. We'll have to ask Sarah if... Uh our resident Jean Grey expert, if she's what her school status is at this, if any. Somebody, I, I just want to, because I'm clever sometimes. Somebody presented a picture of Jean Grey and Storm making out in the heavens. And I was like, hey, hey, is their ship name Firestorm? <laughs> right? It needs to be. Uh, um, what, 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 what? I don't even know how much we have to talk about this, but why would an alien race create a Frankenstein? I don't know. Why would Xavier read Frankenstein and think, hmm, I bet this made up story really happened. I mean, I would get it if it was like a religious text. People do that all the time. But Mary Shelley's horror novel. Hmm. I think this is real. Okay. So it says, we'll make this thing and we'll send it down there. And if he's received with understanding, then maybe we will in person make personal contact. So they make this horrible, ugly monster and we all react badly to it. So they never made contact. Okay, well, we're better off without him then, I guess. <laughs> Isn't this kind of, like, insulting to Mary Shelley? Not that she's alive. I don't know when she died, but it's like, yeah, she didn't make up the monster. Some aliens did. That's what we think. Yeah, that is weird. Now, it is, I'm pretty sure Frankenstein is, like, late 1800s. I want to say 1870s. I could be wrong. I'm not, not looking anything up. Um, but, yeah. I read it. I didn't read it. It's one of my few audiobooks that I've done. Oh. And I did it when I back in the long, long time ago when I was working in this warehouse really early in the morning, and it was often dark, and it actually did kind of scare me a little bit just because it was a moody place anyway. This uh, is, by the way, the longest comic ever. Oh, like officially or just mentally? Well, it just took me so long to read. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the words to story ratio. Oh, so high. Not a lot think, happens for how much you have to read about it not happening. Do you think maybe Roy Thomas masks things not a lot happening with words? <laughs> like he gets pages back. He's like, 
Oh boy. Let's yeah. try to add as much character to this as possible by making everybody talk. Because there are other issues that Roy Thomas has done that we've covered that don't feel like that. But right. then sometimes it does. And I'm wondering if that's just because like he's insecure about the story he's writing. So he just overloads it with dialogue. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe it's just a bad story and that makes it hard to read. I don't know. So I spent the entire book wondering why Frankenstein was always like, costumed people. You're like, costumed people. And then it was just aliens again. Aliens in fancy clothes. This wasn't Frankenstein's monster. It was just an alien robot. Somehow it inspired Shelley's novel. I don't get it. The monster in Frankenstein does exist, like you said. He comes out in 1973. I was wondering about that. Okay. Um... And I did write down that the Tomb of Ideas podcast is online at cinepunks.com. That's punks with an X. Or on Twitter, at Tomb of Ideas. Um, so, yeah. Go check those out if you like Marvel Horror. Trey and James do good podcast. And, and you know, that Frankenstein looks more like what the novel Frankenstein might look like, maybe. Yes. Whereas this one straight up looks like. The, the movie movies. Time. Yeah. So you can't even claim that Mary Shelley was inspired by this. No, this Frankenstein like, was clearly inspired by Universal Horror. Right. So it's just is really dumb. And he kind of also reminds me of uh who's that who's that guy in DC? Uh Solomon Grundy, kind of. Just the skin color and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh Yeah. Dang it, X-Men. Come on. You know what's so funny to me? Every time I read these, and they're just always, they're, they've just been so miserable lately. I'm sorry. But, like, you just know someday they're going to be the cream of the crop. Like, this is Marvel's bread and butter, this universe, this micro-universe. Right. So it's like, boy, they sure they just have start to out that get way. There. They have to get there. It's kind of like whenever Alan Moore redoes Supreme. You know, it really wasn't that good. No. And then I redid it. Chris Claremont probably didn't say anything else. You know, it wasn't really that good. And then we redid it. I guess that just shows you that you can make anything good if you just do it. There are no char- bad characters, only bad stories. Yep. I take it back. There are definitely bad characters, especially if you've read where Black Lightning came from. Definitely there are bad characters. Black Lightning, the the DC guy? Yeah. Um, I don't know where he came from. So... Off the top of my head, without looking it up, I believe it's Tony Isabella is the one who created and developed the Black Lightning as we know it. The idea that DC Editorial handed him and said, here, make a comic out of this guy, was a white supremacist. Oh, no. Who had like a magic word or something and turned into a stereotypical jive-talking black guy. What the heck? Right? Tony Isabella was handed this and said, not just no. Hell no. Jesus. And did Black Lightning instead. Wow. That would have been an interesting Justice League member. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we have Cyclops' yeah. origin story to talk about. Oh, shoot. I was ready to move on to Spider-Man. I totally forgot. That's really sad that this is the longest story ever and not even that many pages. Okay. Oh, 15 pages. Second story was slightly better, I guess. The, the first evil mutant, though I will argue with that title. Yes. As a runaway Scott Summers fleeing the terrors of a world that fears and hates him. Pl- wow, I really read that wrong. As a runaway Scott Summers fleeing the terrors of a world that fears and hates him plunges through the forest, he feels a sudden desire to enter a decrepit, dimly lit shack. And, well, let's let the future Cyclops tell it, shall we? Comma, kids, it's important. You better believe that Stanley editor, Roy Thomas, writer, and Werner Roth artist co-created this spellbinding shocker because John Verporten, Inker, and Al 
Kurzrock, letterer, sure ain't going to take the blame. So, yeah, this guy named Jack Winters summons Cyclops to his cabin mentally. And then he's like, "Uh uh-oh, the police are coming. Let's get out of here. And he points to Cyclops and to himself and these rings and Kirby crackles and stuff like appear all over them. And it turns out he can teleport. And Cyclops is like, whoa, you're a mutant and stuff. You should tell me your origin. But also that teleport puts on the original Cerebro, which is not called Cerebro. It's called Cyberno. Um, But it puts a blip on Cyberno. And now Xavier knows where Scott is because he's been looking for him since last issue. Um, So, yeah. The guy gives him his origin. What did I say the guy's name was? Jack Winters. Gives him his origin. He is one of those disgruntled employee guys who's not making enough money to pay his gambling debts. So you know he's a bad guy because he gambles. Um, and he's working at this radioactive waste material place, and he thinks he can steal some of it to make money, I guess, somehow. Because that's a big market on eBay, you know? Um, anyway, it exploded in his face. And it burns his hands and his head and stuff. Um, But then he reveals, it didn't really burn my hands. You see these giant yellow gloves I've been wearing? Look. And he takes them off and his hands are like made of diamonds. And he indicates how awesome they are because he like, he judo chops a a steel beam and goes right through it. Um, And then Professor X shows up and he's like, Scott, this dude's bad. You don't have to listen to him. I know you're scared, but there's other options. And the diamond guy's like, oh, yeah? Come and get me. And Professor X tries to get him with his mind, but he also has mind powers. He fights back. And Professor X is like, whoops, maybe I overplayed my hand. And the bad guy's like, you're about to die by Jack of Diamonds. Next ish, if I should die. The title reminds me of how much these early stories are convinced that the story of mutants begins with Xavier and the O5 X-Men. Yeah, which we later know is not at all true, right? Right, right. The universe gets very far developed. and um, But even still, I'm not sure that I would consider Jack of Diamonds the first evil mutant. Or a mutant at all. Or a mutant. Well, see, that's part of the thing, right? One of the things about the mutant concept from a creative standpoint was that you don't have to do origin stories. Mm-hmm. No radioactive what's-this to give someone their powers these origin stories for the X-Men are here to tell us how they discovered their powers and joined the team, not how they became mutants. But Jack of Diamonds didn't get that memo. No. And there's a difference in the Marvel Universe between mutant and mutated. Mm-hmm. So like Spider-Man is more in in league or in, le- in line with Jack Winters. Like they both, something happens to them. And it and mutates they- their DNA or their, yeah. Now I guess maybe there's a retcon later that like, that radioactivity just, just you know, flamed his mutant gene or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just mm-hmm. haven't decided what a mutant is yet. But but I feel like they had. So that was a little weird when I was reading that. Like, why are they calling this guy a mutant? He's not a mutant. Um, on a completely separate but related note, it occurred to me recently that genetics is not even really a science yet. Like, whenever, whenever Jack Kirby does the DNA project in 1970 to 71 – uh-huh. DNA is a relatively new concept in the public uh. mindset. So as fa- maybe it's been, you know, discovered and worked on at this point, but it's, I don't think it's really publicly thought about and talked about yet much. So like when Dr. Connors discovered or was trying to make lit- lizards abilities happen to humans, mm. that story is told with no mention of DNA. 
That's awesome. And so the mutant gene just isn't even a thing yet. <laughs> Cre- no. cre- creatively speaking. And I want to say like there's – I don't know if it's true, but I think even within the history of the Marvel Universe, there is something about like an explosion of it due to radioactivity. Mm-hmm. But of course, there are instances of it – of mutants existing all the way to the beginning of time. So, Well, we have seen like the Beast is the only one before this whose background we've gotten any of. And he was – his parents were atomic scientists, or at least his dad was. So he – his dad's – yeah zygotes were damaged or at least altered by exposure to radioactivity, which is where beast came from. But then if you apply the sliding timeline, then that doesn't even make sense. That's true. So then you got to wonder how come there's only like a handful of mutants that exist in caveman times or, or later. And then all of a sudden there's this explosion of them. Did something happen? Maybe something did happen. I don't know. Maybe nine 11 was farther reaching than we thought. Maybe, maybe there's some in story, reason for that that i've never read that someone's furiously writing us about right now the other thing this could be is a mutant who had some other situation that gave them further powers mm-hmm. which isn't often done but the beast is another good counter example um he had powers he did stuff to himself that mutated himself further i also don't like that he has two powers that always bothers me like just have the power you know mm-hmm and he's mm-hmm. telepath and diamonds is like psh, nobody's going to be telepathic with diamond body parts. Oh wait. <laughs> that goes into my zinger at the end. Oh. Um we've never heard of Cyberno before. Uh he says it's less sophisticated, but let's examine this point. I know, it, right? It has a viewing screen with a manipulable focus. Uh-huh. It is not simply an alarm with a list of flashing lights with names <laughs> written beside them in permanent marker. Exactly what I was thinking. This seems way more advanced than Cerebro. And it seems – I think this is the first time we've seen the computer of the detective device interacting with Xavier's mental powers. Yeah, because he's got – there's like that little thing that he can put on his head. Yeah, he's got, he's got the – at least a version of the classic Cerebro helmet going on here. Yeah. So this is like a retcon, and now from here on out, Cerebro is more advanced than this, and we'll just forget about that little printout reader <laughs> thing from before. Um, I don't have a whole lot about this. I have one other nah. thought that I wrote down that's completely separate from this story. Okay. Um, the last time we talked about this book, I had a thought after we we talked about it. Uh, the bit with Xavier and Scott, um, how they're you know they're looking for each other because it was uh, public hatred from mutants. Mm-hmm. Washington decided to take a hand, so he sends Xavier in. But in our actual X-Men stories, we didn't see any of that public hatred for mutants in the early days. So there's no. sort of retconning that's been there. Yes, absolutely. So I just thought that was interesting. But you could argue that's just because nobody knew X-Men were mutants. They thought that's they were just true. superheroes. Until, so maybe, the, until, the, until uh, Blob and What's-His-Face ruined it for them. So maybe there has been a hatred for mutants. The fact that the X-Men are mutants hasn't really come up yet until I think there was the first time was uh Beast and Iceman got caught doing mutant things and people like started chasing them because that's when Beast came back all roughed up. Mm-hmm. That's like issue eight. Quit the team and all that. Yeah, all that. Okay, X-Men's over. X-Men's over. All right. Not forever, but for now. We got 26 more of them. 26 more of them until what? It gets good? Until it gets canceled. Well, does it get canceled for like a about, second? About 10 more until we have a creative shift. Okay, cool. Around issue 50, the artist changes and the storytelling changes pretty drastically. There's, um, someone, out, there's someone out there that loves these the most. 
I liked him last time I went through this series. I knew they were quirky and hokey, but I was I had more fun than I'm having now. So I feel bad because I prefer to like things, but you know, yeah. it is what it is. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Featuring the power of Kazar. You may like this yarn or loathe it, but we promise you this, you'll never forget it. Except we'll that now I have to remember what happened inside. We'll see about that. The coming of Kazar. Although Spidey finally defeated Doc Ock last issue, the web spinner lost his memory in the process. And so we find him now perched outside of a party, really wishing he was invited so he could have some food. Co-featuring Zabu, the savage, sensational saber tooth. He attacks Wolverine every year on his birthday. What the it's heck? Surprise- Just kidding. That's oh. the other saber tooth. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> It's surprise time again. Not only did Smilin' Stanley and Jazzy John Romita put this thriller together, but Dash and Don Heck finished the penciling, aided by Mickey DeMeo Embellisher and Sam Rose and Letterer Heroes 1 and all. So Buscema couldn't do his book. Romita couldn't finish his book. What is going on in our Mighty Marvel bullpen? I do not Overworked. Overworked and underpaid. And none of them are Jack Kirby. So Spider-Man webs a sandwich and is eating it. It's like, man, when I get my memories back, I need to remember not to eat food covered in web. Mm. <laughs> For some reason, I'm thinking about wedding cake. All right. Uh, so he hides from the rain. He's all sad and pathetic on rooftops. May Parker is shivering in her bed in her room because she has not heard from Peter. He must be in trouble somewhere. She gets out of her bed and is so worried she collapses on the floor because May Parker is held together by popsicle sticks and bubble gum. <laughs> Anna Watson calls Dr. Bromwell because 911 doesn't exist yet. And uh, meanwhile, there is a conference going on with John Jameson other people in uniform, dudes in suits, and ex-retired police captain George Stacy. This isn't our first George Stacy. It is not. Okay. Um, they're all talking about what they're talking about. Why did Jameson make no attempt to capture Spider-Man when Spider-Man attacked the convoy with Dr. Octopus to steal the Nullifier. Jameson's like, I didn't want to capture him. He's helped us out in the past. What am I going to do? So they're all mad at him for not doing that. Uh, John's dad shows up. He's like, why didn't you catch Spider-Man? I have no proof that he needed to be captured. Proof! I'm Jonah Jameson. I am proof. Um, it's the first time we've seen Jameson get mad at his son. Meanwhile, Kazar has arrived from the United Kingdom at JFK Airport. He is dressed in a very subtly suit. He has his hair nicely done. He can speak English properly now. He's got Zabu on a leash. Everyone's like, wow, Kazar, you're amazing. Also, that saber-toothed tiger is very scary. Are you sure he's safe? They hop in a cab. They go to the hotel. He goes to his hotel room. And he's like, gotta get out of these clothes. So he rips off his clothes and J. Jonah Jameson knocks on the door. This is J. Jonah Jameson. Open up. Door opens up and Zabu leaps up on his chest. Wow. And Kazar says, no, no, Zabu. Get down. He's he's not, he's a person. Also, I have no shirt on, but, you know, pay no attention to my manly chest. Um, so Jonah's like, okay, so Spider-Man is a deadly menace and you are here to do good things and impress people. You should go after Spider-Man. Kazar's like, I don't think I trust you. And Jonah's like, everybody trusts me. I'm a, just a good spirited citizen. Just ask anyone. I'm like, fine, whatever. Okay, I'll go after Spider-Man because you say he's bad. 
Meanwhile, Harry Osborne goes home and is like, Peter's not here, and I feel like I'm to blame because I was kind of a jerk. Also, hey, look, in Peter's room, in his closet, on the floor, is a spider thingy. Peter takes pictures of Spider-Man. Why is there a Spider-Man do- <gasps> Spider-Man captured Peter Parker! That must be it! So he calls the news. And meanwhile, Spider-Man wakes up and hears the news. Spider-Man's, um, you know, everyone's still looking for him. Also, was he involved in the disappearance of Peter Parker? Spider-Man's like, Peter Parker? Who's that? He swings by a window thinking, hmm, something's going on inside that window. I felt his twinge. He doesn't know his Aunt May is dying inside. Uh, he goes to Captain George Stacy and John Jameson because of the news reports. And he lands in there and he's like, okay, listen, I don't know who I am. I've lost my memory. Can y'all help me? And Jameson's like, can't you tell us why you were teaming up with Dr. Octopus? Spider-Man's like, I don't know anything that's going on. And Gwen walks in and is like, oh, hey, dad. <gasps> Spider-Man. And she starts beating on his chest, Betty Brant style. Why did you kill my brother? No. Why have you captured Peter Parker? Where is he? What did you do with him? Spider-Man's like, I don't know what's going on, y'all. I'm gone. So he swings out. Gwen Stacy's all in tears. Dad comforts her. John Jameson is there, too. Uh... Kazar leaves Jonah to go after Spider-Man. He goes, uh, s follows the sniffy trail all the way to jo uh, John Jameson's office. It's like, Spider-Man was here recently. Here's some webbing. I'm going to follow it. So he follows it. Uh, meanwhile, Spider-Man goes to the Daily Bugle. Jonah has made it there. Um, and Jonah's like, yes, we're friends. And Spider-Man's like, I haven't heard this line before. And Jonah's <laughs> like, you know... I always liked your face without your mask. I'm sorry. I always liked your face without your mask, Spider-Man. You should totally take off your mask. And Spider-Man's like, okay, might as well. And so he starts to uh, take off his mask and Kazar bursts in and Jonah's like, oh, not now. And so then Kazar and Spider-Man are fighting in Jonah's office. They fall out the window. They fight somewhere in the sky. Zabu, like, leaves his hotel room and bounds out of the hotel. And was like, oh, no, it's a saber-toothed tiger. Um, Spider-Man runs out of web fluid. He's like, I've got all these little rectangles in my belt, but they all feel empty. I don't know what to do. Um, Kazar launches himself at Spider-Man with a TV antenna because that's how that works. So at some point, they land on the ground, and Zabu's like, hey, I'm here, wow. And he knocks Spider-Man into the water, because there's water. And Kazar's like, okay, um, where's Spider-Man? Zabu's like, wow. He's like, oh, you threw him in the water? Wow. Oh, he's drowning in the water? Let's go save him. Wow. So Kazar dives into the water, pulls Spider-Man out. It's like, the battle with Spider-Man has ended forever. You must Ooh. be here next issue. Uh, why? If it's over, he's dead. Right? This is the end of Spider-Man, obviously. That's it. That's, that's, that's one way to go. Killed by Tiger. Um, when you read this, did you think, like, maybe it would have been cool to see the story of Kazar talking to his lawyer? I think that would have been interesting. I, oh, with, with <laughs> Matt Murdock? Yeah. Like, make that the <laughs> issue. Just, what are they talking about? I want to know. I feel like for Kazar's presence, we don't get enough of, like, Kazar being a person, which has been yeah. the more appealing aspect of Kazar in the past is like connecting with him as a, as a, as a human. And this is just not that. 
Well, he's fully embracing his heritage now, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. He has found, um, quote-unquote, civilization. He's all dressed up. He knows about money. He takes planes. He speaks English. Like, when we, we- met him, he was pretty much savage, wasn't he? Yep. He, uh, he, he spoke like Tarzan, if mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Now, once he's home alone, he immediately strips off his outfit because he has to be bare-chested to live. But mm-hmm. So there's, he's still got some jungle in him, but he seemed more civilized in this issue than he has before. I like Zabu, although Zabu does seem to get psychic at the end. My master's in trouble. I must go to him. Yeah, there, there seems to be some powers going on here. Like they have a telepathic connection and Kazar can smell to the point where he can track somebody he's never smelled before through the city. Mm, yeah, he does not know what Spider-Man smells like, but he can just smell, can't he? Yeah, unless also, Spider-Man smells really bad for some Human noses don't work like that. Remember my dad explained to me once how human noses just can't smell that well. Dogs' noses are so long, they have so many more sensory organs inside them. Mm-hmm. Human noses are puny things. I, I don't think he actually has superpowers, so this is just like a one-off thing, mm-hmm. I imagine. Because it is kind of weird. But I think as a jungle person, he tends to have like general jungle abilities that sure. are a bit yeah. more than... I can see him being able to track. Mm-hmm. But like the whole thing here, like at some point he does note find spider webbing, which was cool. Right. That doesn't really uh, tell you where he went. Yeah. Only that you are on the right track. Yeah. Um, Aunt May. So she's all like, I've got to call his roommate again. Perhaps young Osborne has heard something by now. Or or are are they keeping anything from me? What what if what if they're afraid to tell me? Yeah. Maybe they are afraid to tell you stuff, May. I mean, you don't know where Peter is. Okay, I get that. But still, you are losing grip on reality here. Like, oh no, I don't think we can make the movie on time. Collapse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but on the other hand, is Peter, has he or will he? I mean, he has, kind of. Like, he's always talking about great power and thinking about Uncle Ben, but like, he's got a living aunt. And Mm -hmm. his living aunt seems to be not doing well whenever he's unavailable. So it's like, at no point does he think maybe the responsibility now is to hang out with her more often while she's still alive. Because my Uncle Ben responsibility is actually to my Aunt May responsibility. Like, like she's only got five more years or something. Can I just, like, be there for her? I can dig that. And not not scare her heart every five seconds? Because if he dies by the scorpion, that's really going to ruin her life. Right. And he was worried about that. Like, every time she's in the hospital, he's like, oh, no, I can't do anything dangerous. She will never survive. But then, then she gets he, out of the hospital. He's like, okay, back to rescuing my life. Yep, never got over it. No cares. Doesn't matter. She's fine now. She's 20 again. Remember when Jameson was almost respectable as a person in this series? He is such a cartoon now. Definitely. This is this is the Lampoon cartoon era of Jameson that I don't really like. Um, no. We're, we're in this mode for a long time. And I'm fine with it. I'm not going to come down on it. I don't love it, though. Whenever we get to the 80s and he becomes, like, a newspaper man again, I'm happier. I don't know when it started, but it was even before this Ramita change because, like, even Ditko had, like, steam coming out of his ears mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, like, at some point they just decided he's just going to be a foil, I guess, and nothing more. But I know he, he at some point, gets some interesting characterization back because I've He read just it. has no concept of how much people don't trust him. Kazar's weird in this because, like, the entire time he's like, this guy seems like a jackal and I don't like him. But, eh, who am I to judge? I'll just do whatever he says. <laughs> also, you mentioned him ripping off his clothes. 
Yeah. Have you seen uh, She-Ra, the new Netflix series of She-Ra? No. Okay. It's really, really good. But Does listeners she out there who are She-Ra. She doesn't. Oh. But Bo, her friend Bo, uh-huh. he has a bare midriff in his costume. And anytime anybody ever makes him wear clothes that cover his belly, at some point he rips the <laughs> belly part off of those clothes to That's have awesome. his belly, his little tummy free again. Uh, I just was reminded of that when I was watching or reading this part. He's very enthusiastic about the ripping of the suit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can finally breathe again. This was the worst day of my life. Harry finds the spider tracer in the closet. And didn't we see that that's where Peter keeps all his web making stuff and all his spidey paraphernalia? Yeah, maybe he decided to try harder after the near miss. And hide it farther. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the solution to this is going to be, but I was thinking it could easily be, you know, he gave that to me so we can contact each other or something. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Spider-Man has amnesia, so let's not trust anything he says or does. Like eating a sandwich with webbing all over it? That was That is weird when he does stuff <laughs> like that, isn't it? Like I, I was like picturing that. Like Is he just taking, <laughs> taking the pieces that aren't webbed? Yeah. Off? It reminded me of the FF cake whenever he like steals the cake through the window. Yeah. And then he eats the cake, theoretically. It was like covered in webs. Why, why are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Maybe it's edible. I don't know. Maybe he just licks all the webbing parts and throws the web away. I can't believe this amnesia thing is going on so long. Like, still not resolved. Right? Yeah. And the problem um, with that kind of is it sort of drops a lot of Peter's life. I guess it doesn't. You still get Aunt May and you get a little bit of – Gwen seems kind of shoehorned in there just to remind us that she exists. But Well, I think the fact that she gets antagonism here towards Spider-Man is going to serve the drama between those two. Yeah. Because she uh, had no opinion on Spider-Man but now, before now – Mm. But now she hates Spider-Man, or at least doesn't like him because of this. And then something else worse. Well, yeah, she's definitely going to hate Spider-Man after she dies. Not her. Doesn't he die first? Does Peter die before Gwen? No, Captain Stacy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's totally a thing, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that That's what really makes her hate him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She gets really mad at Spider-Man after that. Um, you would think, though, with Spidey having amnesia... And Peter Parker missing that somebody in this story would put two and two together. You would think, but Puny Parker or Spider-Man? Come on. But I didn't have much else. The whole Kazar fight is just kind of a thing that happens. Um, yeah. Like a lot of these stories, everything that makes the story interesting is usually what happens around the action, not the action itself. Like a cat can take out Spider-Man? Come on. There is a weird drawing of Zabu whenever he first shows up at the fight right there on the next to the yeah, last page. it's like, I don't know how to draw a cat's belly, so I'm just going to make whooshy lines. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's the something? end of November, y'all. Oh, that's right. Let's do that first. Before we move on, we got a job. But I was going to say, before we move on, you have something to say. But we could do that oh, after yeah. we do the yes. thing. To introduce the next issue. But yeah. All right. So I already know what my least is. I'm oh. not sure about my best. <laughs> least but let's is easy. Re- let's review where okay. we've been okay. and where we're going. Okay. Um, just scrolling back to the beginning of the month because our months are really long now. Sergeant um, Fury 50 was right. The kickoff. Yeah, Sergeant Fury 50. What happened with Sergeant Fury 50? The invasion begins. To- that's right, the uh, T- Tarawa invasion. Yeah, they're all racist, and Izzy gets captured. Oh, yeah, that wasn't good. Uh, okay. It, it had the Izzy drama, which was cool, but it wasn't resolved. No, I mean, it wasn't good as in, like, the racism and the bad no, no. treatment of, of Japanese people. Was that not part. Great. 
But that's some other good stuff. And it's sort of, sort of, kind of, maybe not really set up Captain Savage. But um, we had Strange yeah. Tales 165, where Nick Fury fights Yellow Claw in armor. Behold the Savage Sky. Savage. And, oh. Oh. Unrelated. Oh, Doctor Strange fights the scientist Supreme Yandroth. Um, and it ends and up going up against uh, the, the big Voltorb thing. An awesome 50s robot drummer. Right. The Mighty Thor 148 introducing the pounding power of the Wrecker. So we got the introduction of the Wrecker. And then in Humans, um, we meet Baby Black Bull and his parents in the Origin <laughs> of the Inhumans. That's right. Tales of Suspense 98 Cap versus the Black Panther is in the lead story. And we find out at the very end that Baron Zemo, or I'm sorry, just Zemo is the one behind the whole shenanigans in Wakanda. Also, Iron Man fights Whiplash, the warrior and the whip, while um, Jasper Sitwell has to hold off Tony Stark's girlfriends, including a mysterious woman, as mm. we continue to not know who is the mysterious Big M in charge of the Magia. Carmen Sandiego. Number one issue, Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Raiders, um, where the, uh, the Marines led by former Navy officer Captain Savage, have to get off of the island of Tarawa, and they run into the Howlers at the end of the story. Fantastic Four 71 up against the Thinker's android, but the Thinker's not here. Susan Storm helps save the day. Ben wakes up with his mind reset, and Reed and Sue, I'm sorry, Reed quits the team for himself and Sue at the end of the issue. Daredevil 36, where he fights um, the Trapster, and it ends with a Doctor Doom cliffhanger. But Yep. Tales to Astonish 100, which we talked about today. Namor versus the Hulk, because the Puppet Master is shenaniganing again. Avengers with the Black Knight, while Magneto holds two hostage. X-Men versus Frankenstein, and then versus not knowing what mutants are. Amazing Spider-Man 57 with Kazar. And that is our month, children. Hmm. Not a so, great month. Not a spectacular month. Like, um, there was some th- good, but nothing really pops, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, usually every month there's at least that one issue that's like, that blew my socks off. But not feeling right. that this time. But I think I have my answers. I think I do, too. I think, uh, let me just check my notes on something real quick. Okay. Um, I think I know what I liked most. Okay. I think it's Thor. Okay. The Wrecker. Yeah. Been waiting for the Wrecker to show up. It was a good action piece. Norn Queen's back. Uh, it felt like an old Ant-Man story a little bit with the kinds of crimes he was pulling. Um, it wasn't, honestly, an amazing story, but I didn't really feel like we had much amazing this month. It was no. in a competition with Captain America. Well, funny you should say that because since we didn't have any amazing... I'm going to pick Captain America because he's my favorite and Baron Zemo's back. All right. And that was fun. But like, it wasn't like crazy great, but you know, it was good. And my least loved is the X-Men. And the X-Men for me too. Shocker for everybody listening, I know. (laughs) Um, Doctor Strange wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, it was actually Um, all right. Yeah. And... Amazing Spider-Man wasn't that amazing. Fantastic Four was a little fantastic. It was nice to have Ben back, but I think I just had more enjoyment out of Thor and Cap. Yeah, none of them really. I mean, Fantastic Four, 
would have maybe been my close second because it, it it ends on pretty good drama. But Avengers, no. Spider Man, no. Yeah, Cap wins. Okay. On so, to, okay, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Two things before our next issue. One, we're getting into December. And I, I mentioned that every month for a while has something new and cool. December is going to have our first Marvel annual from the Marvel U, uh, from the UK. There's no Marvel UK yet, but from the UK, we will be covering that in a couple episodes time. And also our final issues of Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish are in December. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, but before we get into Sergeant Fury 51, we need to throw a content warning up here. So before we go on, this story has a very heavy ending. If you are sensitive to discussions of suicide, please feel free to stop the episode. Rejoin us next week. This is our last book of the night. You won't miss anything else. You can check our Twitter in a few days for next week's reading, and we will see you then. Um, so, you know, this is me vamping. So you have enough time to fumble for your thing and hit pause. Um, and I think you've probably had enough time to do that now. So I guess it's time to continue. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number 51, The Assassin. Um, as the tide of war slowly began to turn in late 1943, Adolf Hitler, the mad little corporal from Austria, hatched the most fiendishly desperate plot in the annals of history, to have the leaders of the three great nations, which opposed Germany, assassinated. But you can bet your bazooka that seven wahooing commandos will have a hand in the action before the Nazi dictator's goal can be achieved by a man known only as the assassin. Actually, he's also known by Jor- Jorgen Klein? Jorgen yeah, Klein? He has, he has a legal name. Is it Jorgen, though? I don't know. Really I think it's know. Jorgen. Jorgen Klein. Um, anyway, Stanley. Paternally presents a Gary Friedrich, Dick Ayers, John Severn offbeat combat classic with the assistance of L.P. Gregory Letterer. I'm going to try and just maybe remember this one because it's not that bad. Okay, so yeah, there's this guy, Jorgen Klein. He's a musician, musician, munitions factory. I don't know if he owns it or works there or whatever, but he's kind of important to the Reich, I guess. And he's always been loyal. He says that like 200 times in this story. But he his home gets invaded by, um, you know, troopers, and they take his wife and they take his toddler child, baby, and they're like, "We're gonna hold these two while you do a mission for us." He's like, "What mission?" He's like, "We want you to assassinate, just like we said in the caption. We want you to assassinate assassinate the big three. No, no, not Iron Man, Thor, and Cap, but but uh, uh, Roosevelt, Stalin, and um, 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 oh my God, you know England, Churchill. that guy." Churchill, thank you. Um, and he's like, but I don't really do that. And he's like, yeah, you're going to do it. And he's like, okay, yeah, I mean, Hitler's a great man. So I'm just, I mean, it's kind of weird that you guys are taking my wife and kid and holding him hostage. But I think Hitler's still a great man, probably. So I'll just, I guess I'll do this. I have no choice. So he goes off to do that. Meanwhile, the Howlers are still in, where's that place called? Tarawa, I think, though, they have moved on to Tehran, Iran. Okay, so they're in Tehran, Iran, and that's where the three guys are, the three big three are going to meet. And Happy Sam Sawyer shows up to give them the mission of guarding those three. But that's tomorrow. Today, you guys can have a little leave. 
So they all dress up. They all go out. They all go their separate ways because they all got fun things to do. Like one guy likes to play the trump or the trumpet, and the other guy likes to do cards and stuff. So anyway, Dino Manelli is still nursing the loss of his would-be wife slash traitor uh, spy, and he goes to a bar and he thinks he'll get over it by drinking alone. But then he realizes he feels lonely and doesn't like that. So he strikes up a conversation with a guy. Turns out it's our assassin. Um, and he's like, oh, you're German? That's cool. I understand. I mean, you're obviously not part of that or you wouldn't be here, right? And he's like, yeah, right. And then the assassin recognizes Dino because he's you know, a famous American actor slash a howling commando. So he invites him to his room and Dino goes and then he captures him and tries to interrogate him to find out what the Howlers are up to. Dino does not cooperate. But then they have this big heart-to-heart about, should you really be doing this? And the assassin guy's like, I'm going to torture you. Oh, I can't do it. I'm not really into this. I'm not really into this, but they've taken my family, and I just don't know what else to do. And he's like, dude, you're going to – if you go through with this, even if they let you keep your family, you're going to be a shell of a man, and you know this is really bad. It's not in your nature. And he's like, I know, but I have to do it because I have my wife and kids. So he leaves Dino tied up. And he goes to do it, and there's like this awesome scene of like multiple pages of him like counting down to when he's gonna actually shoot. He's in a balcony, like he managed to work his way there, and like there's the meetings going on with these three, the big three, and like uh, Dino wrestles his way out of his binds, and he makes his way over there, but too late. You hear three shots, um, and then the Germans also storm the place after the three shots with the idea that they'll cause a distraction and so their assassin can get away. So the Howlers get in a fight with those guys. Meanwhile, Dino rushes back to the apartment or the hotel room, I guess. And he's like, now you have to turn yourself in. You just shot those guys. He's like, actually, I couldn't go through with it. And, and I still, I don't feel like I'm a real man. And everything, everything that I believed in, like the Fuhrer and stuff, now I feel like it was all wrong and a lie and stupid and I'm an idiot and... I'm going to commit suicide and the howlers storm up to the – they like track Dino somehow and they, they storm up to the, the hotel room also and they find Dino standing over the guy's dead body and then they kind of lament about that and talk about whether you know these mad dictators are ever going to come to an end or if they're going to be fighting forever and Nick is always as always like really chipper about that and says as long as there's guys like that, we got to stay together and keep punching. Anyway, it cuts to uh, the assassin – assassin's uh, wife and child. The, the uh, Nazis come in. They take the child and tell the wife, we're going to raise him ourselves and make him a good soldier. We don't want him being influenced by a cowardly father and mother because your husband failed. And they leave, and she's screaming and crying for the baby. Um, but then she re- reveals that she's smuggled a gun into her cell, or I guess when they took her in the first place. And she's going to, when they come back, oh, they say they're going to come back and outright just kill her in a minute. And when they come back, she's going to kill them first and then, you know, go out shooting, basically. The end. Yeah. Yeah. I read that and was just like, oh, my God. What the so the story ends with the assassin committing suicide. Yeah. Dino, as Dino tries to convince him not to. Uh-huh. And then the mother has her child taken from her for treason, and then she's imprisoned, but she hit a gun, and she's going to... Well, the last panel has her pointing the gun at her head. I actually didn't read that very carefully until you said it just now. Her words say, after I've made them pay for what they did to us, then I will join you. 
it kind of doesn't gel because it looks like she's just going to commit suicide. But she does say, "I'm going to try and take him out." Right. But she knows um, it's she knows it's suicide either way because she's not going to make her way out of this. Right. So this is unexpectedly crazy heavy and <laughs> very much. I was like, "Oh my god!" But Tonal even shift. without that. It's also a really good drama that explores a lot of really complex questions. It, yeah, it was a really good issue. Um, history note, the big three allied conference in Tehran was real. Uh-huh. It went from 28 November to 1st of December, 1943. There even was an alleged assassination plot by German agents mm. reported by Soviet people, but it never manifested. And some believe that Soviet agents actually made it up for whatever reasons at the time. They don't really show, not to jump right to the middle, but they don't really show what, I assume he just shoots in the air and then runs. Like, cause you hear, you hear the, the three shots, the three shots, but then he says later he didn't go through with it. We find out nobody died, but we don't see what happened. It's all from Dino's point of view as he's trying to get into the room. I guess. I guess he just fired three shots into the air so that everything, so that everyone else who was waiting for him to do it would do their next move and he could get away like he's supposed to. Yeah, that's what I think too. He just issued, he basically issued the call for the Germans to come storming in. Right. So people sitting in the conference heard three shots, freak out, and now suddenly they're getting overrun by officers Mm -hmm. or troopers. Mm -hmm. The Howlers didn't show up until page five. Right. We've talked about how they don't really follow formula anymore. And this is another example of that. Mm-hmm. And you really feel for this guy. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of those, you know, hard to watch kind of scenes where someone's coming in and taking your wife and kid, like, oh my God. And then telling well, you like, to do something that you don't want to do to see them come. Oh, he also, I forgot he had a meeting with Hitler himself, too. Have uh, you been watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? I have. Have you watched the latest episode? I think I have, yeah. So this episode of the recording is not going to come out for three months. So, you know, spoiler for a three-month-old show. But in the last episode, um, Carrie, that's her name, Carrie, uh-huh. she asks Sam's sister to do something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she seals the deal with a not-so-veiled threat. Mm-hmm. So everything is all very politic and polite. And will you please do this for me? And I'm calling you to establish trust and all this other stuff. Also, if you don't do this, I know where you live and I know where your son is. Exactly. You'd rather so he like meet me than I meet you. Yeah. Yeah. He, as the assassin, works for the Reich. He would do what they ask. He's not too keen on an assassination plot. He doesn't really think he's up to that. But they're like, oh, by the way, we're just going to take your family until you're done. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do that from this guy's perspective. Well, maybe you do because, like you said, he's not actually an assassin for a living. That's not his job. Mm. So it's like, are they trying to find somebody? Is is do they assume this is a suicide mission? Like, there's no way. Once you kill these three guys, there's no way of escaping the conference. So, like, why pick this guy and not like their best sniper, for instance? In other words, you know what I mean? Oh, you know, they do take the wife and child before he's even heard what they're what he's being yeah. asked to do. So maybe they expect him to revolt yeah. against it. Okay. Because he doesn't want to kill anybody. That's like not his thing. He's in favor of the party, but mm-hmm. he himself has, is not a person who goes around killing people. Okay. Was my impression. Agreed. Me, a killer? This is like a nightmare. But then he also has this struggle because it's like he has been in support of this party. And it has made, according to him on page whatever, four, I think, that that 
Hitler has made Germany a better place, at least from his point of view. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is this guy really as crazy as people say he was? I thought he was cool, but now he just took my wife and kids. So that's not cool. That's not cool. How loyal am I? Well, this is a really good way to to to, to break that loyalty. Mm-hmm. Take your family. Yeah. So we get the requisite Gabe Jones blowing his bugle. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, you know how you've pointed out a couple times that you can't really play jazz on the bugle? Uh-huh. Uh, for those of you who don't know your musical instruments, the bugle has a very limited note variety. Normally, there's valves and stuff on a trumpet that you can press to like make the different notes. Mm-hmm. Here, the only different notes you can do is by buzzing your lips at different speeds Mm -hmm. what if the story knows that what if all this playing jazz stuff he does in the book is all a gag and he's just playing his three or four different notes yeah in something that if you squint really hard vaguely resembles jazz and like everyone else hates it yeah that's why nobody likes his playing nobody likes his playing because he's playing crap because you can't play jazz on a bugle right could be i want that that'd be pretty funny but in any case, Percy's the party pooper. I say, are we in a bit of a jolly mood considering the fact that Izzy is still a prisoner in Japan? Yeah. So what do we think of that? They're like all happy to go party and smile. And like Izzy is imprisoned and probably being tortured as we speak. And they're just it's like, an, eh, he knew what he signed up for. It's a mixed thing. He is their friend. Mm-hmm. So you, they definitely should have a bigger investment than me. But also, there's always bad stuff happening to other people, and they, you you still have to live your life. So that's true. Maybe they're upset, but they can't do anything about it. So most of them are just like, okay, what's today got in store for us? And in real life, that's probably how it works, especially in wartime. Mm-hmm. But these are the howlers, and they should be able to do something about it because that's their thing. Right, they should be able to. Usually, they flaunt orders and just go. But exactly. in the Pacific Theater, they have no way to get there. They haven't stolen a tank and and drove it across the bottom of the ocean to get over there. Not yet. No. Maybe that's next issue. Maybe. What amuses me is that we find the Howlers in Tehran for no reason. They're just hanging out and about to go party when Sawyer comes in with their orders. So maybe there was a reason and they just hadn't heard it yet. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I I guess the people in charge of their movements might have moved them here without telling them why yet. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Because there's no email, so he has to come in person. Did you notice what they're calling Dum Dum's hat? They called it a bowler. They called it a bowler, not a freaking fedora. Which is what... um, Indiana Jones wears. Which is what Izzy's wearing. Or not Izzy. On the same page. Um, Is that Reb? Reb is wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Reb's wearing a fedora. But they've called this thing a fedora lots of times. Um, and I love the before and after uh, bowler shots. You got mm-hmm. the scrapped up bowler. Like, yeah. Here's your new hat. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a new hat. It's funny that they all, I guess it could probably for being undercover or something, they all had to dress nice. And, like that even meant Nick had to smoke a pipe and not a cigar because pipe is nice and cigar is not. Mm. I don't know if I buy that. I don't anyway. know if I do either. Um, I do like the uh, glamour shots of all the guys at the bottom. Yeah. Gabe does have several lines in this that don't involve his bugle, which is great, but he's still holding it in pretty much every scene. Yeah. He doesn't get, this is definitely a Dino issue. Poor Dino. He's still sad about, about his lost love, even mm-hmm. though he had that one date with that one girl. Yeah. I guess that didn't really do it for him. Well, I'm kind of cool with that. I like that. He's just not getting over it. That's okay. That, yeah, means, that means he actually liked her. They were going to get married. Mm-hmm. He was off out of the book for six months and he developed this whole relationship yeah. And then he lost it in a bit of traitorism. 
Yeah, that'd be hard to get Treason. over. Can we talk for just a second about the ad after page 13? U.S. government surplus? No. No, um, 13. We're only in it for the money. Uh Uh-huh. New from the mothers of invention. So it's an ad for we're only in it for the money. This is the third LP put out by Frank Zappa's rock group, the mothers of invention. But Mm -hmm. it's always stuck out to me because after a whole slew of forgettable or old-timey ads... This is a rather psychedelic ad design. It just stands out as like a change of scene. And it definitely goes along with the type of Zap music that I understand Zappa was doing at the time. And even though it says the same wonderful, wholesome American teen rock combo, mm-hmm. no, that is that is not the type of music <laughs> he's doing. But that's okay. I just so- I think it's a very timely ad. So cool people are realizing that Marvel is cool and they want to advertise in their cool magazines. Yes. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. No more stupid sea monkeys. Well, we're still going to get sea monkey ads, but this <laughs> one's different. And that Norman Rockwell thing. And that other guy. Or is it always Norman Rockwell? We're looking Could for be. people who like to draw. That that ad? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, I don't know. This I, is all, lo- I don't know what to say other than this was very dramatic. The art was, I think, spectacular, especially the parts where he's waiting to do the thing that he doesn't want to do Mm -hmm. all that drama was really good like just ticking down like counting down and he's okay five more minutes and then i gotta do this four more minutes three more minutes can i do it And he just gets sweatier and sweatier and it's all zoomed in on his face and he's in the dark by himself definitely the suspense is really good the whole conversation between Jorgen and Dino on page 11, just exploring Uh the moral complexities. You don't really get an answer. Um, Well, it boils down to they have his wife and kid, right? Right. I mean, who wouldn't do it for that, I guess? I do. I didn't make note of the line on page 17. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. Fury takes down somebody who is going to shoot at Koenig. My thanks to you, Sergeant. You are a gentleman and... uh, well, anyway, I'm indebted to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the suspense with the big three having been killed is a little bit odd since it's a historical fact that they survived. Mm. I guess it was, yeah, but you don't know if this guy survives. You don't know how he, he gets his family back. Yeah, that's really the more, more point of the drama. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about how that last scene plays out is Jorgen is dead. Dino's standing over. You turn the page and you just get a glut of words. And like you said, Nick Fury's all like patrioting away. And it's just like, okay, we could have stood with a little bit more dwelling on the emotion of what just happened. Yeah. That's just not, I, yeah, I agree with you. Like in today's world, that would just be a silent panel of all them, like looking at him or something like that. But that's just not how the sixties roll, man. But I kind of do like anytime they sort of have any sense of introspection on, war stuff it doesn't happen very often but but dino's like uh can you know can any greatest dreams of any nation be worth anything as precious as one man's life and then they're like oh no a man who could have been great Mm -hmm. is lying here dead Mm -hmm. um and yeah the scene with the wife and child was just really 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 rough really 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 rough i'm only laughing because it was just so shocking that it's like i can't i can't believe they did that laughter is a coping mechanism that that's that's fine yeah, yeah. But I did already make a note at the end of the month that this is a contender. Yeah, it really is. This is this is serious war drama that I was not expecting necessarily to get from this book back when Kirby was doing it. Yeah. Take that, Captain Savage. 
Yeah. Get your leather neck off my Raiders. All right. Um, next episode, episode 170, we're going to be talking about five more comics. Those are Strange Tales 166 with Doctor Strange versus Voltorg and Nick Fury versus probably Yellow Claw again, some more. Mm. Um, then we're going to have Thor 149, where Thor continues to battle the Wrecker, and it's called When Falls a Hero. So I guess it's going to be the Mighty Wrecker from now on. Mm. Tales of Suspense 99, the final issue featuring Iron Man at the mercy of the Magia and Captain America uh, against the man who lived twice. I guess Captain America and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Against the man who lived twice, Zemo. Fantastic Four, 72, Sport and Silver Surfer on the cover, where soars the Silver Surfer with the Watcher in the background. And Daredevil 37, Daredevil, don't look now, but it's Doctor Doom. Uh-oh. Also, don't look because you're Daredevil, you can't. Where can they find us? That's it, huh? That was That's five? Uh, they can That's find five. us at makearsmarvel.com. There you will find all our episodes, you will find links to all the popular uh, RSS feed apps and stuff like that. You will find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And I have now decided as of this week that Twitter follower numbers somehow correlates to popular podcasting. So I want to see our Twitter following numbers hit 1,000. We've been doing this for three years. Three years, you should be able to get... 1,000. If you're a bot out there listening to this, please follow. I don't care if you're invested. Just click follow. If you don't like Twitter like my children because they think it's old and for grandparents and stuff, just create an account. Click follow. I don't care if you interact with us. I just want those numbers up because that's all anything means to me is numbers. So let's shoot for that 1,000. Twitter.com <laughs> slash make ours marvel. Um, we're going to log into that account you never use anymore and just yeah. go click follow and then just log click off follow again. And log off again. We'll never know. Um, you we'll can follow you back. We probably I follow will, back yeah. to everyone who follows us. Okay, great. See, thousand for a thousand. Um, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh yeah, leave us reviews on iTunes or any of the places you can leave us reviews. I, I just saw us on Amazon the other day. It was really weird to see our names on Amazon, but I guess you can leave reviews there. Things like that. Everybody has a podcast now, or you can write to us through the website or directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Also on Twitter, you can follow. Oh, actually, also on our website. You can find our PayPal link, which we always appreciate donations to help offset the costs of the show. Uh, never expected, always appreciated. Uh, we can find both myself and Michael on Twitter. I am at John Reads Comics with no H. He is at Kaiser the Great with one H. And um, we will be back next week to talk about more Marvel superheroes, Silver Age adventures. So until then, or until the Puppet Master confesses to killing Alicia's parents and causing her blindness, make ours marvel.